0: we are about to hit a a turning point in the book of exodus this morning. There's there's been several, but today is kind of the last sermon in a little a little section uh, we've been working through the laws. There's a change in chapter 24 that we're going to get to next week and honestly this as I was going through it I was like I think this is my my favorite chapter in the whole book next week. So be sure to get to hear the change and where we're going next week cuz there's just to give you a little spoiler, there's a scene in chapter 24 where Israel's basically having a picnic with God, and I just think that is one of the coolest pictures in all of Scripture. So if you want to read ahead and try to find where the picnic is taking place, uh, it is a picnic, so I mean, that it's good to know as Baptists we do tons of picnics, and uh, that's also very much in the Bible. So, But in order to get to that point, we are going to finish chapter 23 this morning, which kind of gives us a little bit of a conclusion to the laws, the chapters on the laws that we've been walking through. And if you guys have been out just to give you a little bit of a mini recap since chapter 20, uh, because that was, man, that was back in March when we were in chapter 20. uh, God kind of, he starts by coming to establish his covenant with his people, right? He shows up in chapter 20, says, I'm your God, you are my people, Uh, let's let's go ahead and, and square that away. Then in chapter 21 and into 22, you see God teaching his people, okay, because you are my people and I am your God, that means you're going to value certain things. Above all, you're, you're going to value my image in one another. And then you know, we talked about how that, that means we're valuing people based off of who they are, right, as bearing God's image as opposed to production, what they can and can't do. And then last week we talked about these different laws that he was giving them regarding how to how to be striving if if we value his image how to be striving in such a way that our lives bear his image and we're not falling into the trap of like taking his image either in ourselves or in somebody else and bending it to ours so it's it's kind of a bigger picture god is working with here that at the end of chapter 23 it's it's good for us to get in the habit when you notice Either, you know, like the ends of a book of the Bible or just a shift, especially in here where God's been giving chapters of laws and then in the next chapter, there's something different taking place. The ends are really important. Uh, I learned in seminary that if if I was going to pass a class well, um, and I mean, I've graduated so we could go on record saying this is how we studied, paid most attention to the beginning and the end of the chapter. Because they pretty much said everything they were going to say in the middle at the beginning and at the end. Which, if, if you listen to my sermons, they kind of function the same way. So not, a, you know, not permission for you guys to check out all the way in the middle. But the end is where you get a nice recap of why are things taking place the way they are. What, what is God trying to do as he's giving the law to his people? And so in this summary, guys, this, this end of the chapter, there's, there's some really cool stuff going on that God is using to show his people, this is why I'm revealing myself to you the way I am. This is why I want you to be with me. This is what my goal for you is. So we're going to look at this together this morning and say, okay, why is God revealing himself to us? What is he trying to get out of us? Why is he trying to do this? And, and the main point where, where we're going, we're going to see God reveals himself to his people so that we trust him. And when we trust him, we are led into reconciliation and transformation. So uh, the way you could think about it is God wants us to know him so that we trust him. And when we trust him, that's when he can change us into his will. That's where he can change us into his image. The, the work of being made right with God and being transformed into his image for us, that takes place when we trust him. And we trust him by the different ways that he's revealing himself to us. So we are in chapter 23, verses 10 through 33. Just to give you guys a little bit of a break from the past couple of weeks, we've been hitting closer to 30 or 40 verses. Today, there's 23. So beginning in chapter 23, verse 10, it says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall rest and let it lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me, You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, uh, because as I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall also keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field, and you shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in it from the field the fruit of your labor." Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. "'You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, "'or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. "'The best of the firstfruits of your ground "'you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. "'You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. "'Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way "'and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. "'Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice,' Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. But little by little I will drive them out from before you, until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land unless they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Father, thank you for just, I mean, maybe we, we've heard it every week in these laws, but just the intentionality with which you choose to work to reveal yourself to your people, God. I mean, we, we're not trying to get lost in the weeds of all the things you were trying to do. But God, it is, it is clear that as you were drawing Israel to yourself, as you were trying to show them who you were, God, you were, you were after something. And, and you were carefully working. You were working long-term, God, not just in the moment, but being active and, and planning ahead. God, it is, it is so cool for us to get to see your heart chasing after your people. Father, may we be able to put ourselves in the story this morning and say, you know, we, we are the people of God being pursued, being chased after. And, and God, as we, as we try to see what you are after with Israel, may we see how that also fits for us. God, what are you after in us? What are you trying to lead us to do, Lord? Just please be with us as we are in your word, Father. May your Holy Spirit give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So, guys, the first big theme in these verses that you see God doing is He's He's teaching His people to trust Him. Now, where we kind of get that from is the, the laws specifically regarding keeping Sabbaths and keeping festivals. It might not jump out at you that what God is after is trust, but it's 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 buried. It's buried just below the surface in there. If you see in verses 10 through 12, God is calling his people to keep the Sabbath. And he's, he's actually telling them to do it a couple different ways. He says, keep the Sabbath every seventh year. So every seventh year, Israel is to let the land have rest. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if you are a nation of farmers and you're told to let your whole land rest for an entire year, that is a very large act of trust. That I'm going to trust not only can God provide for me once a week with the Sabbath day, but also an entire year's worth of letting the rand rest. So God calls his people to celebrate the Sabbath every seven years for the whole year and every seventh day for the week. And you think too, so why why initially did God give his people the Sabbath? I mean, it is a picture of trust. Back in Genesis 2, God rests on the seventh day. He looks back over all the work that he's done, he, he blesses it. He says, this is, this is good. What, what I've done is is great. And guys, what I've what I've heard it commonly described is, is it's as if God was a painter and he was painting his portrait and he got to the point where he said, I'm done. Right? Not done, you know, and slam the brush down, I'm fed up with this, but done in the sense of if I was to add another bush here or another stroke here, I would ruin everything I've done. So when God looks at his creation on the seventh day, he looks back over it and he blesses it. He declares what he has done complete. It's, it's perfect. The word that comes up over and over again in that account is, it's good. So the seventh day, God gives to man and he says, you do likewise. For six days, you're going to work. For six days, you're going to create just like I, God, the one who made you in my image. I work, I create but you're also going to have a time where you stop and you say, but who's really ultimately good, right? We were not intended to just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. It's also another reminder of what we saw a couple of weeks ago where God is teaching Israel, hey, uh, I do not value you based on production. Don't keep working and working and working yourselves to death thinking you're trying to get something that will eventually please me. He says, you, you bear my image. You are good enough. You're, you're, you're blessed. So keeping the Sabbath, it, it was a reminder that God gave to his people, to Israel, to us, to be able to say, okay, God is not after my production. He's, he's not after me trying to get something or be able to do enough for him because he's calling me to, to rest and what I am able to do, because there's, there's something else he's after. It's not necessarily production, but it's a picture of trust. As you continue going in verse 13, you see God commands his people not to make mention of the names of other gods. The, the language there is, don't even remember them. Don't let it be in your head, don't let it be something that comes out. And it's really cool, because a lot of times in the Old Testament, when God talks about remembering things, I mean, you, you guys have probably heard it, but there's a lot, of, a lot of things, even in this chapter, God will say, remember this, remember this. The, the Hebrew language ties remembering and trusting very closely together. So when God says, don't even make mention of this, don't, don't even remind yourself about the gods of other cultures, what he's really telling them is, don't trust them. Don't trust it. You, you have me. Trust me. Don't trust them. Same thing in verses 14 through 17. He gives them three feasts to follow. There's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we've already seen. God, God gave Israel to celebrate this when they were on their way out of Egypt. So as they're remembering the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they're, they're trusting, hey, God delivers. right? God literally brought us out of Egypt. So the first feast God gives them is, remember, I can deliver. Right, I'm the God that can do this for you. He calls them to celebrate the feast of harvest, which is you know as soon as they bring in the first and the best crops from the field. God says, bring it to me, and in doing this, you're making the statement that you trust I will provide for you. Right? Typically, when when whenever I, we grew up gardening, you wanted to keep the best because that was like, oh, thank goodness! Like I've spent all this work and all this energy planting and sowing and tending. I want to keep the best for me as a way of saying, like you know, like a little reward for myself. Like, I've, I've done a good work. God says, give that to me because I'm ultimately the one who can provide for you. The Feast of Ingathering, the third feast, which we, we get more details on this in Leviticus, but this was really cool, guys. The timing of when they celebrated this feast was 50 days after the Feast of Harvest, okay? If you think about other places in Scripture where you hear of something happening 50 days after something else, there's a word you may be familiar with, which would be Pentecost, meaning 50 days. So God, the 50 days, this feast we learn later, God gave to His people for them to remember. God gave the law to them. But then even further out, the disciples would have understood, oh, and God is now giving us His Spirit. So we're trusting that God can deliver. We're trusting that God can provide. And God gives him a third feast to say, now look back and see that he does. Look back and see that, yes, indeed, God has delivered you. God has provided what you need. God fulfills who he says he is. All of these pictures of trust. In verses 18 and 19, and guys, these are, they feel kind of awkward verses uh, transitioning into the next section, especially the statement, don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Um, I mean, I, even most Bible scholars that I read have no clue what this means, okay? So there's there's verses in here, we're just not really sure. Of the The best guess is people saying, well, other cultures in that time, they offered the blood of sacrifices with things that were leavened, and other cultures boiled young goats in its mother's milk. So my best guess for this is God is saying you're going to practice these sacrifices differently than the other cultures will, which is going to make you look different. Right. If I mean, you, you realize all these altars and sacrifices, man, this was a big deal. Right. This, this is something where if you're making this sacrifice happen in a valley or up on a mountain, everybody's going to be able to see it. So it's an act of trust to go consciously do something different than what all the other nations around you are actually looking in and seeing you do. Um, again, if you want to disagree with me on that, that's fine. Nobody's really entirely sure what this is in there for. But it, to me, I'm reading this and saying, yeah, it, it fits. It's still another picture of God after the trust of his people. And at the, the last 12 verses, guys, oh, there is, there's something really cool taking place in verses 20 through 32. You see, God tells Israel that he's going to send an angel. The the word there literally means a a messenger, basically an appointed representative, if you will, a delegate. God's going to send somebody that represents him to guard Israel on their journey, to bring them to the place that he has prepared. And as they're journeying with this, this delegate, This representative. They're supposed to obey him and pay careful attention to him because God says, by the way, I've put my name in him. So I've set him apart from everybody else. This is verses 20 and 21. And along the way, what this representative will do for you, he will deliver you, verse 22. He's going to lead you to worship me and no other God, verse 23 and 24. He's going to lead you to serve me, verse 25, as he's going to be working out healing and reconciliation with you, verse 26. And you see just the detail with which God even tells the people, and here's how I'm going to reconcile you. I'm going to send some hornets out there to drive away your enemies. Like He he just blesses his people with the details of how this work is going to be done. And then he says, and this representative of mine is going to lead you to dwell with me. So don't go covenanting with other gods, other cultures, because you, you belong to me. Like, we are in a covenant relationship. So if, again, guys, this is, this is where it's beautiful to read through the weeds of the Old Testament, because where else in Scripture have you heard a storyline of God sending someone to his people who's going to deliver them, who's going to lead them to worship God, who's going to lead us to serve God, who's going to heal us and reconcile us to God, who's, who's going to reveal God's redemption plan literally and what that looks like, and who's going to lead us to be in a right relationship with God. I mean, guys, this is exactly who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. And we start to realize that when Jesus talks about fulfilling the Old Testament, yeah, he did. And God is giving his people pictures of saying, I'm going to do this for you in Christ. Guys, this is what you and I have in Jesus. Someone who has, who has the name of God, who literally is God for us, who's called us to pay attention, to follow, to believe in him, who's showed us what it looks like to be right with God, who's made it possible for us to be right with God, who when we invoke His name, we invoke healing, and we invoke peace and reconciliation to one another, redemption to God. And it's, it's even so cool that God says, look, obey His voice and pay careful attention to Him. And the same in the New Testament when, when people say, man, if that's who Jesus is, what do we do? And Paul puts it this way in Romans 10-13, he says, call upon His name. Guys, literally... Put yourself under the name of Jesus. Pay careful attention. Obey His voice. Listen. Listen to Him. It it, it is crazy to see the exact same narrative that we get in Christ that we're familiar with. This is God revealing it to His people in the Old Testament law. Guys, to me, it shows that there's a, a larger testimony of Scripture going on. What God desires of us, first and foremost, is to trust Him. And as he's giving his law to Israel, as he's concluding this section, saying, guys, this is really what I'm after. I want you to trust me. We are seeing the same thing all throughout Scripture. And God has a point. God has a point to why why he's after trust. That's the second part of the main point this morning, guys. God is ultimately, he's revealing himself to his people so that we trust him. And what he's able to do with this trust, it leads us to reconciliation and transformation. Okay, If you, if you kind of go back and read through the verses, you start to see not only does, is God giving commands to do these things, he's saying certain things are going to happen when you follow these commands. In 10 through 12, as you're following and keeping the Sabbath, what's going to happen? Your land, your people, your livestock, they'll have rest. So as the people are following the Sabbath... They're actually being good caretakers of God's creation. In verses 13 through 19, as they're giving right worship to God, You know, keeping the, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the festivals, not worshiping other gods, as they're doing this, Israel is setting themselves apart from every other nation on earth. So in their ability to rest well, they're showing everybody else who God is. In 20 through 33, I mean, just notice the promises that God gives Israel through the law and that we've received in Christ that, you know, through his chosen representative, he's going to grant pardon from sin. He's going to uphold our life. He's going to deliver us from those who don't know him, provide basic necessities for life. There's even an interesting one in verse 26, guys, none shall miscarry or be barren, that we're going to have good childbirths. We'll we'll get to that one in a second. And in the end, he says, I'm going to establish you as the caretaker over my creation again, okay? All of these are promises pointing to reconciliation and transformation. And, and how, I, how you make that jump, this is, this is really cool, okay? If you go to Genesis 3 and you think about, okay, God has made the world in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3 is where we're familiar, we mess it up, right? Sin enters the picture, we are kicked out of the garden. If you notice, I don't know how carefully we've ever read through this, but God gives some very specific curses to mankind because of their sin. Some of the specifics, in chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, he says, your relationship, humanity's relationship between itself and creation is, is now broken, right? He says, woman, that the snake is going to be coming against you. You're going to basically be at tension. He talks about, Adam, you're going to have a really hard time struggling to take care of the ground, right? He says, humanity's relationship with creation is broken, that we're now wrestling against creation instead of tending and caring for it. In Genesis 3.16, it says, humanity's relationship with one another is now broken. And he puts in there the specific curse and says, and, and Eve, you're going to experience the worst possible pain every time you have to give birth to a child. Like, your child birthing is going to be the most horrible, like, traumatic experience. Verse 17 through 19, he tells Adam, look, you're going to try to provide for your family. You're going to try to take care of the ground. And it is going to be the hardest work that you could ever possibly go do. He says, and you're, you're going to slave away at taking care of the earth. And it's, it, you may not ever get everything that you're hoping to get out of it. The, I heard one guy say, ever, ever working, never producing. Brutal. Very oddly specific curses. And now here we see some very oddly specific blessings where God says, I'm going to provide for you so that you can take care of one another, take care of creation. I'm going to consecrate you as my own. I'm going to deliver you from my, your enemies, my enemies. I'm going to provide your needs for life. I'm going to give you the ability to have successful childbirth." I'm going to reestablish you in your role as caretaker over creation. Guys, what God is doing as He is concluding the law right here is He's showing Israel when you trust me, all those curses that you received because of your sin, I'm able to reverse them. I'm able to bring you true healing. I'm able to bring you true reconciliation. I'm able to take you who have been broken apart from me and I'm able to literally bring you back into a right place with me. I'd, my mind was blown reading through this this week. It's, it is wonderful to go through the Old Testament and be like, that just feels oddly specific. Yes, guys, it is, it is amazing how oddly specific God gets when he's really trying to show his people you have what you need in me. And if you are trusting in me, I will be able to make you right with me. I'll be able to lead you to bear my image. There's reconciliation with God. It is, and guys, just to blow this up even more, I mean, we've we've seen this as we've been walking through the chapters of the laws, right? This whole pattern, as God is revealing himself to his people, they're being made right with him. We see that the same pattern happened when God got him out of Egypt, that God set aside a consecrated image bearer, Moses, to lead them out of Egypt. And before he, you know, has, has totally brought them into his presence, he's teaching them about who he is and what he's done. Uh, guys, even I love, Jesus calls out the Pharisees at one point. He, he basically references this, where he, he tells the Pharisees who are yelling at him because his disciples are picking some grain on the Sabbath. They're saying, you're not keeping the law, Jesus. Why are you letting him do it? Jesus says, you you don't understand the law. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He says, you were never intended to just be living under law, afraid of this God that has handed the law and says, do this to be right with me. Even Jesus references this and says, no, what, what God has been after since the moment we, we said, God, we don't trust you, right? God, you've, you've told me what life is to be in the garden. And Adam and Eve said, God, we don't trust you. We want to go eat this fruit. We want to go to this. What God has been after of us, guys, is, is trust. It's not performance. It's not trying to do something correct. What God has been after, of His people is for us to trust that He is who He says He is, that He does what He says He does because that means we are who He says we are. We, we, we are His image bearers. And guys, as God is, is able to receive our trust, as we, we talk about putting our faith in Jesus, that, that faith is, is more than, you know, like we say, a, a, a mental assent to something. It's, it's we are trusting God, as God is receiving our trust all oh, now, now big stuff can happen. Now we can be remolded, recast into his image. So what we do with all of this, guys, I, I, I just want to encourage you on a couple, couple specific things to chew on for our application with this. If, if this is true, that God is revealing himself to us so that we trust him, and that is in this place of trusting that God is able to work His image out through us to reconcile us to transform us, um, I think. First off, this this changes what we need to be after as Christians. Um, I think if if you listen to a lot of the narratives coming out of many Christian leaders and churches today, I, I I personally this may just be me, but I feel like we miss the trust piece there in the middle. That, that most of the rhetoric is, is centered around that the knowledge itself is what's actually going to produce the change. Like, if I can just know... Some, well, a couple examples. If we get the right knowledge or the right doctrine to the right people, the right place, whatever, then that is actually going to somehow produce the change that we are, we're hoping to see. So if, if you bear that logic out long enough, you see the ministry... What churches do then becomes content transformation, right? Like when we gather together, it's for me to like teach you something and you go, oh, good, I've learned something. And like that, then, then we're done. Or just like what we choose to do with our life, it, it just comes down to content transferring. And let me tell you, we, we live in a world where there is tons of content, okay? There's, I've lost track of how many different media outlets there are. God only knows how many different podcasts there are, right? Like we, we, we are really good at being content transfers. We're really good at consuming content. We're really good at giving content. And, and you listen to, sometimes we even get mad when people disagree with our content or they try to cut our content out of, you know, whatever arena we're trying to have it in, okay? We, to me, it's almost like we've lost sight The content is good, okay? Please don't think for a second I'm saying it's not good. But it might not do what we are trying to make it do. God does not at any point slamming his people for not knowing him or saying that it's not important for them to know him. But at the conclusion of his law, what he's saying is, I'm not trying to get you to know me because in purely knowing me, you are inherently Changed. And one example that that I I'll share it with you guys, and and I'm I'm still wrestling through this entirely, okay? So this is again as I get to, to walk with you guys through the word, I'm walking with you through the word. I still wrestle with things too. There's a verse in James when James is talking about this relationship between faith and works, right? If I believe God, then what do I do with this? James makes this statement. Chapter 2, verse 18, 19. He says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. I'm still working through what that fully means. But guys, I think it fits with... What we've seen in Christ, I think it fits with what we've seen here in Exodus, that just knowing something about God does not inherently change us. James is saying even the demons know some things about God. Very clearly, they're not bearing his image. Very clearly, they don't want to have anything to do with him. They believe it, and they flee from God. But what God is after is he is teaching his people. is He is getting them to trust him. So that, not so that they flee, but so they are drawn deeper into his presence. If our faith is centered purely on this content transfer, guys, we're not that much different from the Gnostics we talked about in Colossians where our faith is saying, okay, yes, I understand Jesus is this, but I really need to know X, Y, and Z in order to, to truly follow God. Paul, Paul does not take kindly to Gnostics. That was not a good thing. So I, I would say for us, then, don't worry about your faith being an exercise in content transfer purely, okay? But, but I would also point out, I think from this, we're also seeing, but, but knowledge has its, its place, and it has its, its own very, very important role to play, right? That, that there is a balance. I need to know God if I'm going to trust him, Right? I, I can't really trust in something that I don't know at all. The the analogy I was thinking about, and hopefully this helps, because it, it started to help me click a little bit. When I was a kid growing up in school, I had teachers that would teach me things, right? And that knowledge in part shaped who I was. Like I I didn't know math or science or anything at that point when I'm receiving this knowledge from my teacher. So my teachers would, would use that and, and if my teachers were good, they would do so in ways so that I would start to like the teacher. You know, like feel like I have some sort of connection with them where I would want to listen to what they're telling me to do. You know, so as a result, I ended up really loving math and science. I still do. I um, ended up appreciating history. I don't maybe love it as much as some, but it, it has a good place. Uh, I could tolerate English. Um, it's not my favorite, but we could tolerate it. But for the majority of my teachers, if they were to then also turn around and tell me like, okay, Jordan, uh, like we're we're talking about history, but I need to talk to you about some character issues. My default is going to be, you're you're my teacher. Like, why are you why are you trying to talk to like who I am? Just just give me the content, okay? But there were there were a couple good teachers who did you know like other mentors I had that it it was not just about transferring content because they actually. Used that as a way to get to know me. We built a trusting relationship and then then they had a place to actually speak change into me the The professor that I'm still say I'd be closest with from southeastern I never had a class with them. I just had a meeting with them and then then we went to lunch and hey you you get a lot of a lot of good relationships are built over meals okay it it's just knowing God is very important. We need to know him. But guys, we I think we miss something that the scripture makes very clear. That simply knowing God or just trying to know more about him like that's not what actually allows his image to be wrestled through in our lives. Okay? There's there's a, so many so many conversations with believers that say, "I just don't feel like I know enough about God or i I know these things to be able to share my faith or to be able to see change happen and and i want to I just want to encourage you, okay the knowledge does have its place, but the piece that actually brings the change is the trust and so sometimes you you may be in a place this morning and that's you know you, you will you will know if you are where maybe you don't need in this season to be striving so hard to know something new or different about God so much as you need to trust what you've already told. Maybe maybe God feels unfamiliar, not because you don't know anything about Him, but just because you've not trusted who you have heard Him to be. And guys, with that in mind, I mean, that, that, just, that just shapes everything we do here. I mean, that for me then that, that brings me to the point each week for when I'm getting ready for Sunday morning. This is not for me to just be getting content to you guys, but just to try to draw you into trusting God as, as I am also equally wrestling through his word to try to trust him. I mean, in, in our ministries, it's why with these, the community groups that we started, guys, it's, it's, it's not just a Bible study. We do study the word and we go in depth and we talk about it and we wrestle with it. But we we also share how we see seen God at work in our lives. We eat together, right? Just like with my professors, we, a lot of good relationships are built over food. We get to pray together. Like there's the knowledge has its place, but it's in that community that we actually start to see transformation happen. And so, guys, as we move into the summer, this is, you know, it's time where we get to Maybe we're a little bit more free to engage our communities in ways that we like to. We can actually go play in the ways we want to play. We can go travel to see family. We can go have people come see us. I, I would encourage you just keep, keep being faithful to this, this relational work um, because it, it is in the place of trust we are actually changed. So how should we respond today, guys? Two quick things, and we'll, we'll, we'll sing our last song together. Um, I, would, I would encourage you this week, spend some time thinking about when I think about the phrase, growing in my faith, like, what does that mean? Like, when you think about what would it take for you to grow in your faith, what, like, what expectations do you put on yourselves to do? Is it is it like I need to be memorizing the word more? Is it need, like I need to be praying more? Just, just call that out, okay? And, and the reason I say this is because the way we think about growing in our faith is going to tell us what to actually go do with our faith. And, and so many times we get frustrated because, like, maybe I'm not in a season where I, maybe I work an early morning shift, and I just can't get up at 6 a.m. to have a quiet time first thing in the morning. O- okay. Maybe instead of being frustrated that I'm not growing in my faith in this particular way, what has God given me to be able to be trusting him in? So just just think about how do you grow in your faith? And then the the second part that kind of goes with it, where's your faith marked by knowledge imparting more than relational trust? Uh, I've gone through seasons where, something comes up and I'm not able to have my quiet time as, as I'm used to doing, which you know, has been very detailed notes on Scripture. So then I usually get irritated, like, I'm not taking notes as like I used to. I must not be learning. I must not be growing. And sometimes, okay, there, there's a... God has room to tell me, yeah, Jordan, you're just being lazy. But there's also times where God is saying, maybe that's not for this season right now. Okay, maybe there's something else I'm inviting you to do. Maybe... I've been letting you have several years of this really intense study quiet time so you you got to know more about me. Maybe I'm now putting you in a place where you're going to have to trust me a lot more than you are used to, okay? So just, I want to encourage you, think about this this week. How do I think about growing in my faith? Because that will tell me what I want to end up doing with my faith. And where is my faith marked more by uh, I'm gauging it on how much my knowledge is in there as opposed to Okay, how much am I actually learning to trust God? Because just like last week we talked about, there's, there's a balance there, okay? Um, and guys, it is in this place where we are trusting God. And we're actually going to pray together about that as a church in a little bit. Bert is going to come share some ways that we can be praying to be trusting him together in. Um, guys, man, when, when we are in that place, we, we actually get to see God work his image out through us. So let's, let's pray together, and we'll, we'll be good. Oh, my Savior, help me. I am so slow to learn, so prone to forget, so weak to climb. I am in the foothills when I should be on the heights. I am pained by my graceless heart, my prayerless days, my poverty of love, my sloth in the heavenly race, my sullied conscience, my wasted hours, my unspent opportunities, he could go on. I am blind while light shines around me. Savior, take the scales from my eyes and grind to dust the evil heart of unbelief. Make it my chiefmost joy to study thee, to meditate on thee, to gaze on thee to sit like Mary at thy feet, to lean like John on thy breast, to appeal like Peter to thy love, to count like Paul all things else as dung. Give me increase in progress in grace so that there may be more decision in my character, more vigor in my purposes, more elevation in my life, more fervor in my devotion, more constancy in my zeal. And as I have a position in the world, keep me from making the world my position. May I never seek in the creature what can only be found in the creator. Let not faith cease from seeking thee until it vanishes into sight. Ride forth in me, thou King of kings and Lord of lords, that I may live victoriously and in victory attain my end. In your holy name we pray, Father God.